kids ages three and four uh, and kindergartners, you can head your way, make your way to the back. Miss Kelly's back there and take you up to your classroom in just a moment. For the rest of you in here, take your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 20 this morning. We're going to be looking at two verses in John chapter 20, right at the end, verses 30 and 31. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there are a handful on the back table back there uh, in the black hardcover Bible. If you're looking for the sermon text, you'll find it on, uh, on page 1077. John chapter 20, beginning in verse, verse 30, and I'm just going to read through the end of the chapter, verses 30 and 31. If you're visiting with us here at Buffalo City Church, one of the things that we regularly say is that it's important that you see these words in front of you as, as we're talking about them on a, on a Sunday morning. To see them open on your lap, we'll be continually referencing the words on the page. It's important to see that these words are coming from, from God and the inspired word and not from me. Uh, and, and they come to us even with the same authority as if Jesus were here this morning speaking them to us. And so this morning, as we look at these verses, keep your Bible open on your lap, keep your phone app open so that you can continually be referencing the things that we're looking at together in these two simple verses. Let me read John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Reading the Bible, coming to a passage, even like these two simple verses, can be challenging. And really, honestly, is challenging. We talk about the Bible, uh, reading the Bible as a discipline, not as something that comes necessarily easily to us, although at times it come, can come easily to us. But largely, by and by, reading the Bible is, is a challenge. And I don't want you to be misinformed about what we talk about when we talk about reading and studying the Scriptures. It's good for us to acknowledge that. I think about this quote regularly uh, from a gentleman by the name of Earl Blackburn. He writes, Just as there is no one single plot of land on the earth that yields every variety of flowering tree or fruit, so there is no one chapter of the Bible in which every truth of God is collectively revealed. God's truths are scattered throughout the pages of Scripture and will not yield themselves to the slothful and lazy person who refuses to study. One of the primary contributors, I think, to our lack of daily Bible reading and study is our frustration that Scripture doesn't give up its truth without labor. I'm being completely honest with you this morning. The Scripture, the Bible that sits open on your lap, does not give up its truth without labor. To the one who is unwilling to work in the Scriptures, uh, truth does not come easily. A, a verse a day pushed to the notifications of our phone can be a helpful reminder of truth. Uh, songs that we sing and books about the Bible can be helpful reminders as well. But none of these are valid substitutes for the intake of the Bible if you expect to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're busy people, and so we're constantly looking for life hacks, uh, or we're trying to figure out how to rewire a process 
so that we can get the most out of something with a minimal amount of work. And Bible verse notifications and books of the Bible and songs that contain some scripture can be good supplements, but the process cannot be rewired. It cannot be hacked. It's not designed in that way because God established this process in a particular way. Proverbs 26.15 says, The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. You may be going to the dish, but not actually have to, you have to actually ingest the nourishment in order to be sustained. And you can't be nourished if you go to the incorrect dish. So, the call for us as people, as we come nearer and nearer to the end of John's gospel, is to be engaging in a disciplined manner in our study and reading of God's word. John Piper writes, when his kids were struggling with a difficult book when they were young, he would say to them, Raking is easy, but all you get is leaves. Digging is hard, but you might find diamonds. Let me encourage you this way. I I want you to know that. I want you to understand that reading the Bible and studying the Bible is a discipline. And it's something that we as people need to engage in. As those who have been joined to Christ by faith, we are called to each and every one of us to be understanding and reading the Bible with regularity. But let me encourage you in this way. You are, in Christ, equipped to read the Bible well. You are, in Christ, equipped to read the Bible well. The task is a difficult one, but you're equipped for a difficult task. As Christians, you have the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells his disciples in this very gospel, in John chapter 16, that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Truth and that he will guide them, the disciples, and us subsequently into all truth. And every believer, everyone who is joined to Christ by faith, has the Holy Spirit as a current possession. The Holy Spirit is in you. And secondly, as a Christian, this is the one that I want to talk to you about for a moment, you have the local church. When I say studying and reading the Bible is essential to the Christian life, and it's a discipline and it's a challenge, let me tell you that it's going to be an, an infinitely more difficult challenge if you disengage from the church. If you're outside of the local church, you are ignoring one of the key ways that God is giving us an understanding of his word. And God has situated you here, even this morning, for your benefit. It is a benefit to you to use your gifts, to use your talents, to use your resources uh, to selflessly serve the body of Christ, to selflessly serve others in this room. And it is a benefit for you to be closely connected to the body for the purposes of being shepherded by the elders here and growing in your understanding of God's word through the instruction of other believers, both in word and indeed. You may have a conversation about something that you're reading in Scripture and an understanding that you have had for the first time, or you may just observe the faithful living of a seasoned saint that is part of your local church. If you're relatively new, or maybe you've been floating around Buffalo City Church for a while, let me call you to something very specific this morning. Let me call you to church membership, to formally align yourself with the body. Because the Bible has no category for a churchless Christian. 
And if you're struggling to understand your Bible in your quiet times by yourself, commit yourself in church membership and then submit yourself fully to faithful men and women in this context in order to learn and to better understand how to grow in your faith. Better men and women who can disciple you, whether it be in a Bible study or in a community group or in one-on-one relationship. Now, you'll be tempted to not do this because you'll be tempted to not do this because you can go to the internet and you can scroll through your phone on a reel or a short and YouTube or Instagram or pick a platform and they'll be telling you, read the Bible this way, do this and do that. This is not God's design for you. God's design for you is what is happening and transpiring in this room with men and women who you can look in the face on a weekly basis and say, and say, I am struggling here. Or, I learned this this week. In order that we might spur one another on, encourage one another, build one another up, move, move one another to love and good works. A church member is a Christian. This is our definition of church member. A church member is a Christian who formally aligns him or herself with a particular local church, in this case, Buffalo City Church, submitting to and following the example of its spiritual leaders for the purpose of building up the church through love and the use of his or her time, treasure, or talents. The membership process at Buffalo City Church is simple, and I just want to give it to you so that if you're like, I don't even know what that means, or how, just come talk to me first of all. There's a simple packet to read through, and then, uh, and then schedule time with one of the elders to go through the material, and if you have questions on it, or, and then there's a few interview questions as well. But let me, let me say this. The reason I'm saying this is because you're not meant to be isolated in your Bible reading. As we come to the end of our time here in John's Gospel, with a couple weeks to look at a couple more passages after this week, you're not meant to be isolated. The local church is designed to spur you on in this way, in your Bible reading. And many of you can attest to the fact that you have given up digging a long time ago because you didn't have a fellow believer pressing you to keep going. And some of you have just given up digging because you've isolated yourselves. You've moved yourself out of the context of the local church. You've drifted out of community. You've prioritized other things in your calendar above meeting with uh, other believers in community group or Bible study or discipleship relationships or even here in congregational worship. And the reality is you're equipped to use the Bible or to read the Bible, study the Bible well, but those things, those tools that you've been given, need, you need to make use of them. To, the benefit, for, to benefit from these things is to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And you aid and encourage then others to do the same. I wanted to say that to you because as we look at this passage this morning, to better understand the purpose of John's gospel is to understand everything that comes before what he writes in these two simple verses, sort of at the end of, of, his, of his gospel. He would say like, so that I might believe, believe what? What am I believing? And it's everything in the 20 chapters that come before it that we have to be aware of. I don't say this to discourage you, but to encourage you. God has given you everything that you need. God has given you everything that you need. He doesn't say, know me, and then not give you anything. 
He doesn't say, understand what I require of you and then give you no information. He doesn't say, live the Christian life in community and then give you no opportunity to live in community. He gives you all of those things beautifully before you, even in this place this morning. And so, like I said, we're coming to the end of our time in John's gospel. And this week, like I said, two more after this week, we'll look at uh, chapter 21 and we'll end on Easter, which is fitting. Um, I think some of you laughed when I said last year, well, we'll probably be here again next Easter. And sure enough, here we are. John, in this passage, in these two verses, verses 30 and 31 in chapter 20, are telling us, he's telling us the purpose. He's telling us why he wrote this book. If you're reading the ESV, like I am, if you have one of the Bibles from the back, uh, look at, ver- there's a heading there. Now, the heading isn't inspired by the Holy Spirit, but the heading is a helpful tool. It says, the purpose of this book. And so that's exactly what it is. Good job, whoever wrote that heading. Purpose of this book. This is why John wrote the Bible. We've mentioned these two verses a few times because they've been helpful, because throughout John's gospel, they've been pushing us towards a better understanding of the purpose of the gospel, of his recording what these, these things that Jesus said and did. But John says it exactly how we need to hear it now as we come to the end. He says, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. John's gospel contains nearly one-third of all of the occurrences of the word believe in Scripture. Nearly one-third of all the occurrences of the word believe in Scripture. That should be telling to us. And as John states his purpose, right at the beginning of verse 31, so that you may believe. So, here, this morning, There are two components of this purpose statement that are going to guide our time together. Two components of this purpose statement that will guide our time together. The first is this. This book is written so that we might believe unto salvation. This book is written so that we might believe unto salvation. And secondly, this book is written so that we might believe unto perseverance unto perseverance. We'll explain what those mean as we go along. First, this book is written so that we might believe unto salvation. Another way to say this, another way to say uh, is that the reader would come to saving faith. That the reader would come to saving faith. In the original language, I'm going to use these words a bit interchangeably this morning, so just to establish a baseline for you, in the original language, the the root of the word faith and the root of the word belief are the same. And so if I'm saying faith, I'm talking about belief. Faith is used to indicate the act of believing, uh, or it might on a larger scale be used to indicate a system of belief. If we say something like the Christian faith, well, we're talking about a system of belief, not just simply the faith of one individual. But throughout John's gospel, we've seen groups of people who were told that, quote, believe, uh, but not in a way that is unto salvation. They believe lesser things than what we are told we are to believe here in this passage. When John says, so that you may believe, he says, 
that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That is the content of our belief. But we've seen people who believe lesser things than the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. We've seen that they've believed in the signs that Jesus has done or the miracles. Or that they believe that Jesus can get them a free lunch if they follow him around long enough. But they don't believe that Je- what Jesus claims. They don't believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God. And even when they're called to follow him at a more deeper level, they break off and go and do something different. Saving faith is faith that Jesus is all that he says that he is. Saving faith, let me say that again, saving faith is faith that Jesus is all that he says he is. And to see some, to see saving faith established in unbelievers is John's primary aim. It's his primary purpose in writing this gospel. To see saving faith established in those who do not believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And this is important for us to see. This is the first part, first understanding of so that you may believe. He's saying that at those who believe not at all, who do not have saving faith at all. If we're concerned about the salvation of our unbelieving friends and family members and co-workers and neighbors, the men and women who you are interacting with on a daily basis in the workplace or when you're knocking down the, the, the snow that the plow piled up at the you know, everyone kind of, everyone goes, this plow comes by and then there's a big mound at the end of your driveway and then everyone goes out there and then we all have a powwow in the middle of the street. Does anyone else do that? That's, maybe that's just my neighborhood. But you, you know who those people are and you largely understand that there are some of those who are standing around you who, who don't know Jesus, who, are far, who do not believe that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God. And so, because we know those people, part of our evangelism strategy must be to convince them to read these 21 chapters in Scripture. To read this gospel. When you've shared the gospel, sometimes we're trained to share the gospel and we want it to be succinct, we want it to be short, and we want to get to the point really quickly. John doesn't do that. (laughs) He writes 21 chapters of the life of Jesus so that faith might be established in those who do not believe. In a world of sound bites, quick bursts of information, prompting someone to read through John's gospel might feel like a big ask. It might feel like a big ask. But if we really want that person to see who Jesus is, we should push them towards John's God. We should push them towards Scripture. We should push them towards John's Gospel. And the witness that John gives to the person and work of Jesus here in this book. You might be thinking, I can't imagine that the person that I've been sharing the gospel with for several years faithfully over and over and over again at work, who sits in the sits in the desk next to me that this person would ever see and come to Christ by reading all of this. 
But friends, you, you demonstrate your own faithlessness by saying that. You're saying, I am going to assign limits unto what God can do in the human heart. I'm going to assign a limit on what God can do in the hearts of men. And so, if that's you this morning, like, I've been sharing the gospel, but they've, they're rejecting it outright, and I can't even imagine this person would read one verse in Scripture, lest, lest all of these repent of your unbelief. If God is at work, then even the person who is furthest from God will want to know this about Jesus. I spoke to one of our church planning partners this week. We, um, he's in Italy. And so we Zoom call once a month-ish. And, uh, and he told me about uh, a couple of teenage Muslims who have been coming to various church events that they've been putting on and even to congregational worship. And he said to them, you know where you are, right? You're going to hear a lot about Jesus here. And they replied that they understood. And then they kept coming back. That's nothing short of a miracle. We rely fully on the Holy Spirit to breathe life into dead hearts. And so don't arbitrarily set limits up. Like, I can't even imagine that person doing it, so I'm not even going to bring it up. Trust God. Repent of your unbelief and trust God with the hearts of those who you're sharing the gospel with. And so the gospel of John is meant to be read by unbelievers in order that they would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing they would have life in his name. Under the offering box in the back, there's a bunch of Bibles. There's 12. I counted them this morning. There's 12 back there. Those are designed for you to pick up and to take to give to someone who you're sharing the gospel with. Go take one. If you've been sharing the gospel with someone regularly and that person may or may not have a Bible, pick one up and hand it to them. And my prayer is this week, as I was preparing even for this sermon, is that would you would think of an unbeliever even right now, someone who desperately needs to know Jesus, who is in their unbelief is dead in their transgressions and sins, and that you would take it to them, that you'd put a quick bookmark in the gospel of John, and that you'd give that Bible to them and that they would read it. If you've been at Buffalo City Church for for a while, we've been in John's Gospel since September of of 2020. This is the 68th sermon that I've preached in this book. There will be two more, so it's 70 total. Throughout these couple, two and a half years, you've spent time with other believers in this room meditating on, seeking to understand better in a community group setting what this, well, how this works, what, how, what the text is saying. You've spent time with other church members. You've meditated on these things that we've read and have been preached on yourself in your own time. If you've been faithful in your attendance to congregational worship and faithful to the Buffalo City Church community, then I want to say this to you. Here's another way that you've been equipped. You've been equipped to talk about who Jesus is in John's gospel. You've been equipped not only to talk about it propositionally, but you've been equipped to talk about how it's transformed your own life and how men and women uh, who, who read this uh, 
can come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. You've been equipped to better share your faith with men and women, unbelievers. Paul in Ephesians 4 says that it's my job to equip you for the work of ministry. It's my job to equip you for the work of ministry. And so one of my aims throughout our time since September of 2020 in this gospel is to equip you to take this out to a world that is steeped in unbelief so that they might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. and that by believing, they would have life in his name. I can confidently say, I believe that I've divided the word rightly among you, that I've spent over a thousand hours preparing sermons, that I've spent over 50 hours in this pulpit preaching these words to you so that you might apply them and take them to those who you know who have yet to believe. And the word has done its work in many of you. I've watched many of you be transformed over the last two and a half years. From places that you were not to places that you are now. Your life is bearing witness and giving testimony to the transformative work of God when he uses his word by the power of spirit to transform us. A word that goes out that does not return void, but accomplishes all that it goes out to accomplish. My job isn't done when we get to the end of John, then we go somewhere else and we keep, we keep work at, at work. But I want you to know, like 21 chapters, you've spent the time, you've done the work, you've thought and you've prayed and you've been transformed and now it's a call to go. To take this to men and women who have yet to believe. John's purpose should become our purpose. Last week we saw Jesus in verses 19 to 23 commission his disciples to take a message of forgiveness to the world. As he was sent by the Father, so he sends us into the world. And just like John, we are to bear witness to who Jesus is. That he is the Christ, the Son of God. The Christ means that he's the Messiah that comes into the world to deliver his people. All that the Father has given to him, he now has redeemed. Through the shedding of his blood on the cross, through his death, he has, now, he has now paid the penalty for sin so that you might have life in his name. He is the Messiah who delivers us from sin and death. And he is the Son. He is God. He is the second person of the Trinity who took on flesh and dwelt among us in order that we might see and understand and know God. He has manifested God among us. And we can know him. We can know him. And John's gospel and all of scripture points to Jesus and gives us a clear picture of who Jesus is. And maybe you're here this morning and you're like, okay. Maybe you're not fully convinced that Jesus is who he says he is here in 
John's gospel. Consider what you've heard in your time throughout John's gospel, in our time together, and believe that Jesus is the Christ. Believe that Jesus is God. Believe that Jesus is the only way to the Father, because if, you, if your belief falls short of that, it, does not, it, it will not save you. If you believe that Jesus was a nice guy who did some miracles, who did some fun, fun stuff, and who put a little kid on his knee and bounced him up and down and said, let the little children come to me, and that's all you believe about who Jesus is, then you've missed it. Your belief falls short. It is not saving faith. So, turn from your unbelief and trust Jesus, that he's the only way to be saved. Turn from your sin and trust Christ and you will be joined to him and you will have life in his name. The first and primary purpose that John writes this book for is so that saving faith would be established in unbelievers. The second goal or aim here, which works itself out more as a result, but is so that we might believe unto perseverance. So that we might believe unto perseverance. You probably know someone who at some point has confessed to be a Christian in their past, but is now far from God. But is a long, long ways from God. They've drifted away. You've talked to that person about the state of their faith. You've labored over that person in prayer, but their life is giving no evidence to the fact, or no evidence to any saving faith whatsoever. Perseverance is an important element of the Christian life. Christianity does not come to us as some magical elements based on some magic words that you repeated one time with your eyes closed and your head bowed. That is not what. It is. Praying a prayer one time does not make you a Christian. But many people are relying, and maybe this is you this morning, many people are relying on a prayer that they prayed one time when they went to bed when they were four. And they are relying on that as the evidence that they are a Christian. But friends, true faith is transformative. And it is lasting. It's transformative, and it's lasting. The belief that John wants his readers to have is not a momentary belief, but a lasting belief. A belief that endures, a belief that perseveres. Because, again, the disciples here in this, who, who, uh, who were with Jesus, so the resurrected Jesus, they're going to be persecuted, they're going to endure hardship, they already have, and they're going to experience more, and more of it. And it's only going to get worse. It's not going to get better for them. Belief that does not persevere, belief that does not endure, wavers in the moment of hardship. It wavers in the moment of hardship. The belief that John wants his readers to have is lasting belief. Belief that endures. Belief that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. This is a life-altering reality. And is marked by continuing movement towards Christian maturity. 
And his growing desire to know God through his word. A growing desire to see others know God through his word. To growing desire to walk in God's ways and obedience. And a growing desire to put off sin and to see it as reprehensible in order that we might have communion with God. And John's gospel in all of scripture is given to us that we might believe unto perseverance. That the faith that we have would be lasting faith. That the belief that we had would not waver and crumble under the persecution and hardship and suffering that is inevitable in our lives. I said it at the start. Daily Bible reading can be a challenge. Regularly reading, spending time in the scriptures and understanding and knowing, this can be a challenge. And if you're, but friends, if you're ignoring God's word to you, you are in a precarious position. You are in danger. It is a discipline to read your Bible and do it well. We are so disciplined. This culture, I love North Dakota. We are some of the most disciplined people. We wake up way before the sun ever even considers it. We go to sleep way after. We work hard. We apply ourselves in incredible ways. And Bible reading is a discipline. But like we see here in John's purpose statements, it's one of the ways that God preserves us in the Christian life. It is difficult, it is a challenge, but it is one of the ways that God preserves us in the Christian life. Several, the last several years in evangelicalism, the, the, the evangelicalism or Christianity, um, lots of prominent people have done what is called deconstructing. One author defines deconstruction in this way. He says, deconstruction is a critical dismantling of a person's understanding of what it means to be a Christian. Sometimes this is a result of hurt they've experienced in a local church, or sometimes it's a result of just the doubts about belief system that they have. And it's certainly not wrong to have questions about what you believe. You should have questions about what you believe. You should be asking yourself, what does it mean to have saving faith? What does it mean to uh, believe that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God? You should be asking those questions regularly and diligently. But many times, especially in recent memory, this phenomenon of those who are deconstructing wind up leaving the Christian faith altogether. This idea is born out of secular philosophy, humanistic worldview that says that you stand at the center of everything. And if everything's not catering to you or making its way right at you so that you can do what you want to do and feel happy and excited about it all the time, then, then it's no good. Get rid of it. Discard it. But for every one of these individuals, every one of these individuals who walked away from the faith, there is one factor that always contributes. And it's usually right at the top of the list. A devaluing and a departure from God's word. John writes this gospel to prevent that activity. 
to say when the sufferings of this life and when the difficulties come hot and heavy, are you going to run or are you going to stand firm? A devaluing and a departure from words, God's word puts you in a place that is dangerous, a precarious place. And so John's gospel has the, has the goal and the effect of building our faith, of bolstering our faith. But ignoring this and ignoring the Bible altogether has the effect of eroding our faith giving other voices other than Scripture prominence in our life, even those that appear to be good, can lead us toward faith erosion rather than faith building. John writes his gospel so that we might believe unto perseverance. So we might stand firm when the difficulty comes. That leads us to a couple of concluding thoughts. John's gospel is written so that we might believe unto salvation. And John's gospel is written so that we might believe unto perseverance. And that leads us, again, to a couple of concluding thoughts. First is this. The content of our belief matters. The content of our belief matters. Whether you're believing it for the first time like last Tuesday, or whether you are 75 years into your Christian life, what you believe matters. Jesus is the Christ. He is the only one that can save. Jesus is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the true God of true God. Last week we sang a song, I think it was called We Believe, based on the Nicene Creed. This morning we sang another song, something similar to We Believe, uh, based on the Apostles' Creed. But last week, the Nicene Creed, the creed is as follows. I just want to read this to you. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, Eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made. God substantial to the Father, through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and he was made man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He is spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. The word Catholic here means simply universal, lowercase c, not the Roman Catholic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Many of you have grown up, many of you in this room probably grew up reading these creeds in the back of the hymnal on a Sunday morning. But these have an important function in the life of Christianity. Christianity. 
The clearly, they clearly and they succinctly define what we believe about God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, the Church, etc. Belief, belief is personal. You must believe, you yourself must be fully convinced in your mind and heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, but belief is also corporate. We together, our belief is grounded in agreed upon objective truth. The threat that center or comes to us in the content of our belief and why the content of our belief matters is because we live largely in a pluralistic society that says, uh, what's good for you is good for you and what's good for me is good for me and we cannot let that infiltrate the church. It's good for you that you believe that Jesus is the Christ. I don't believe that he's the Christ, but I do believe he's the Son of God. No, this is a package deal. We make statements based on objective truth as revealed in God's word. This is not a, you have your faith in your way and me in mine situation. Jesus, and John here as he records Jesus' life and death and burial and resurrection, John defines the content of our belief very specifically here. What must we believe to be saved? That Jesus is the Christ. He's the only one who can deliver us and that Jesus is the Son of God, true God of true God. And so we follow suit. We take our cues from this passage. The existence of belief is not enough. The content of our belief matters. The content of our belief matters. And then secondly, the result of our belief matters. Belief, according to John's gospel, is in fact transformative. Belief, according to John's gospel, is in fact transformative. And remember, over one-third of all the occurrences of the word believe in Scripture come in this book. And by believing, you may have life in his name. This is the transformative part of what John writes here. What could be greater than trans, what could be a greater transform, transformation than from going to death, from death to life? What could be a greater transformation than going from death to life? We just saw this played out in the resurrection of Jesus. We just saw this played out, like physical death, physical resurrection. And the same life that Jesus has and speaks to his disciples in John chapter 20, post-resurrection, is the same life. You are given that life to those who are joined to him by faith. This life isn't future only. It's not just like someday you'll get it. It's yours now, current possession. If you're joined to Christ by faith, this life is yours. It belongs to you. Outside of Christ, you are dead hurtling towards death. In Christ, you are alive, hurtling towards more life and more than you can possibly imagine. Here's the thing. Alive people do alive people stuff. Alive people do alive people stuff. Dead people do dead people stuff. Mainly nothing. In Christ, you are immortal. Our belief is transformative. Our belief isn't just content. It's not just a set of propositions. 
It's not just a list of propositions. James 2.19 says, You believe that God is one. You do well. That's a proposition. God is one. Even the demons believe and shudder. Demons affirm the first line of the Nicene Creed. Is that saving faith? Is that belief unto salvation? No, clearly not. Why? Because the belief they have is propositional. It's content-based only. It's not transformational. Our belief is in Jesus Christ, that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and that he is very much alive. If you're here and you think that the content of your belief doesn't matter, repent and believe exactly what God says about who he is in his word. And if you are here and you think the results of your belief are unimportant, repent and believe that those who are in Christ are transformed from death to life. Friends, know this. Come, this is a call to you this morning. Come to faith and be strengthened in it. Come to faith and be strengthened in it. Jesus is the Christ. He's the only one who can deliver you from sin and death. He's the only one who can offer you forgiveness of sin. He's the only one that can bring you from spiritual death to spiritual life and physical death to physical life. He's the only one that can bring you life and can bring you abundant life. He's the only one who can bring you to the Father. And Jesus is the Son of God. True God of true God. The second person of the Trinity. Eternal. Unchanging through whom all things were made. I want to leave you with just uh, six, seven verses from John's opening chapter, taking it all the way back to the beginning. John 1, 1 through 5, and 12 through 13. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness hath not overcome it. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man but of God. Let's pray. God, would you use this time, these two and a half years in John's gospel, would you use this to equip us even further to bear witness to who Jesus Christ is among those who do not believe? God, if there are men and women and boys and girls in this room this morning who do not believe, would you, through the power of your Spirit, cause them to be troubled? Would they not be able to move on today without 
seeking an understanding of what it means to be made right with you. Would you take these things that are clearly given to us in your word and transform us now? God, we rely on you fully. We can't do these things on our own. We are not here to say we can. God, we are here together to say with one voice, we need you. God, strengthen us now in our faith. Establish faith where it needs to be established. Give us a full and robust understanding of what it means that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.